All right, all right, man, like you know, you can be seated. And uh, let me start off by saying, man, it is so cool to be able to stand in front of y'all today. And when I say cool, I'm talking about like figuratively because it is warm up in the church house today, all right? But it's good to be able to stand here before you this morning, and I really am truly grateful for this opportunity. Uh, man, I don't know if y'all realize, but every time Matt asked me to be able to fill in for him from the pulpit, I mean, I always have a similar response. It's twofold, all right? Number one, when he asks, the first thing I do is I like look around, hold up, wait a minute. Is he talking to me? Like, is he really asking me? Like, have y'all ever been in a crowd and somebody's like, hey, what's up, hey? And then I'm that person like, oh, man, what's up, has he? Oh, he's not talking to me. He's talking to the person behind me, all right? So I'm thinking, surely I'm in the room, like maybe Jesse's back there, maybe Joe, maybe somebody else is back there, and then it's just me. And he's like, do you have Tourette's? Maybe we need to rethink this situation. You know what I'm saying? And so then the second thing I immediately asked, like, okay, Matt, man, I think I can do it, but what is the passage that you want me to preach from? Leviticus 15? Nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to let you have that one, all right? Uh, and so Matt sits down on my couch, and he comes in like a salesman. He's trying to sell the passage, all right? And he's like, man, here's the thing. Let me paint this picture, all right? In the month of January, when January hits, we'll be starting this new series. We're probably going to call it Christian Wisdom, and we'll be walking through 1 Corinthians. Sound familiar, right? All right, so I'm there. I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like, okay, okay, all right. And he's like, man, if you would speak on the 21st, you would have the opportunity to talk to the church about church division. And I'm like, okay, all right. One of those nice, rosy topics, you know what I'm saying? But, but really, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who am I to talk about church division? Like, how can I talk about church division when I can barely comprehend second grade division? You know what I'm saying? And I'm not lying. Hey, Shannon, I'm not lying, right? Homework at our house is hard, all right? Man, homework is not for the faint of heart. Man, we've had several nights where it's like, not today, Satan. We've had those kind of moments. It's not going to go down, all right? And so it had me thinking like, Satan, whether he's always, I mean, he's always lurking, right? He's always sneaking around. And whether he's trying to divide your family over some second grade division, all right, or he's trying to divide the church family, I mean, he's always always busy. So don't forget that. Man, he's busy and he's got a target and that target is you. Man, we would like to think like, oh man, he's not coming after me. Man, he's coming after the world. Wake up. He's already got the world. Man, he's coming after you. He's coming after your family. He's coming after the church family. And it made me think about this book that I have in my hand. This is C.S. Lewis's book, and it's entitled The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if any of y'all have ever read it. You know what I'm saying? I opened it up in college and couldn't find the picture, so I put it back down. But then I opened it up again because somebody said it's a good read. And, man, it's kind of a scary, haunting book. And so I was like, man, hold up. Who would have this book? Not, not that the person who has it is scary and haunting, all right? But maybe the person is a lover of books, all right? And so I called up my man, Jesse Polly, all right? And I don't know if y'all have ever been in Jesse's, like, home or you ever been in his church office. You will quickly find out my man loves his books. There are, like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books in his office and in his house. And when I saw that for the first time, I had to ask him the question, Jesse, be real. Have you read every one of these books? And he quickly responded, you know what? I've started every one of those books. 
I like that. Like, I immediately went back to my office, and like the three books that I owned, I opened them up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that way, if somebody comes to my office, they say, Justin, seriously, have you really read all three of these books? I can be like, well, you know, I have opened them. I have, I have started them. You know what I'm saying? And so, man, I asked him, hey, can I borrow your book? And so we brought this book up here because here's the thing. If you don't know anything about this book, the screw tape letters, it's kind of neat. It's like 31 letters being shared between two demons, all right? That's why I said it's kind of a scary book, all right? And basically, you have this senior demon, Mr. Screwtape, who's writing his nephew demon, Mr. Wormwood, and he's basically like, hey, if you want to mess up a Christian's life, this is what you need to try to do. Man, this is what you need to focus on. And at one point, he challenges Wormwood to focus on what he calls the purely indifferent kind of things. So basically, like in relation to this story, he's like, man, you got to get the Christian to focus on the clothes, the candles, the semantics of the mass and the Holy Communion, all those itty bitty things, man, make him focus on them. And when he focuses on the purely indifferent things, man, he'll be distracted from the real mission, A, pursuing Christ, and B, man, sharing that gospel message. And so when I think about this story, Man, I think about our life. Man, I think about our church. And like I said, man, Satan is gunning for you and I. Man, he's gunning for our church family. And we got to watch out because there's a ton of purely indifferent things that end up distracting you and I. Man, there's a lot of indifferent things that distract the church family. And we can like, man, we can, we can totally get divisive over these things. And so what I'm going to say, like, just in summary, what I'm talking about is these non-essential things. All right. Have you ever heard that? Basically, these have nothing to do with our salvation. All right. They're not on the same level. Man, they could be doctrinal. They could be philosophical, man, they could be practical, but the one thing that they have in common is Satan loves to use these issues to polarize you and I. Man, he loves to use these issues to divide the church family, and his goal has always been the same, turn Christians against one another. And man, he's so good at what he does. Man, when I, when I think about what I've seen growing up, I think we can all relate to church division, right? Man, we can all think of that one time that maybe somebody lost their cool in some type of church uh, meeting. Or, man, maybe we had some people who, man, they really liked this one pastor and that pastor relocated. And so, man, they all followed that pastor to this church and to that church. And, man, even in their pursuit of Christ, they, they forgot that they were actually pursuing some believer and some leader instead of Christ himself. So we got to be careful. And so today, I want to challenge our church family to make the main thing the main thing, all right? Man, too many times we get distracted. Too many times we take some small things and we try to make the small things the main things, all right? We need to stop sweating the small stuff, and we need to major on the major things. And so to do that, I want to challenge y'all in two ways today, all right? Number one, I want to challenge y'all to major on the right person, all right? I mean, if we're going to say we want to major on the major things, what are those things? Number one, we got to major on the right person. And number two, we are called to major on the right mission, all right? So I'm going to try to break down those two thoughts, and please don't put me to the clock because it's not going to be like this many minutes for this one and this many minutes of this one, all right? Because Paul comes at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
starting in verse 10. And man, he packs that first verse full of some things that we need to break down, all right? So first things first, if you want to jot it down, man, we need a major on the right person. We're going to try to break down these four verses, all right? Verse 10 through 13. And so before we start reading it, man, I'll give you time to, you know, get there, flip there, uh, tap there, scroll there, whatever, however you got to get there, get there. And, and, and while you're getting there, I want to pray for three things, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we pray that today, man, you would speak to us. God, man, we need a message from you. Holy Spirit, please hide us behind the cross today. Let it not be our words. Let it be your words. Let your truth speak loud and clear. And secondly, God, we pray that we would hear that message. God, don't let us just sit here. Don't let us just nod our head. Don't let us leave here like we checked the box off that we've been to church. But God, let us hear your message. Let us hear that truth. And thirdly, God, we pray that that truth will set us free. God, speak to us. Let us hear your truth and let that truth set us free. We don't want to leave here the same way we came in. And I'm not talking about a door, God. I'm talking about changed hearts. We can't do it. Man, it's fake when we try. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, first things first. Man, we're talking about majoring on the right person. And we got to understand that Paul's going to argue that, man, you can only have true and lasting unity when we are focused on the right person, and that person is Jesus Christ, all right? And so we're going to try to break that down and kind of understand what Paul's trying to say. So, man, if you're there, we're going to read verse 10. So read it along with me as I try to read it out loud, all right? In verse 10, it says, Men, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there are no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Man, it is crazy to think that Paul is about to unpack some crazy issues in the church of Corinth. And like we talked about the last two weeks, it's easy for us to point the finger at that church and say, man, that church is messed up. Nah, that church sounds a lot like the churches of today. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes we have, uh, you know, the capabilities of trying to hide those things. And so, man, don't point the finger at that church because we can relate too often. But here's the cool thing. Even though he's about to have to hit them on the sins of fornication, marriage, incest, getting drunk at the Lord's table, all these and more, the great thing that we understand is the first sin that he deals with in his letter is the sin of division. Man, this is a real thing. Man, I, I, I don't like how we say like this sin is greater than this sin because we ought to understand that in God's eyes, sin is sin, all right? Now we get like in reality, some have, you know, greater, uh, you know, ramifications, I guess we could say, but sin is sin. In church division is no different. Man, that's why he starts off in the very first phrase he says is, I appeal to you. I mean, we got to understand that. Paul is appealing to the church of Corinth. Man, this is not a command that he's saying. Man, we got to understand that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he had every authority to be able to command this church and say, man, this is what you need to do. Man, he has the right to do so. He has the authority to be able to do so. But here's the thing. He didn't command the Corinthian Christians in this matter. Instead, he comes at them with a loving heart. Man, he appeals to them. He begs them. He pleads with them. Brothers, 
be united as believers. Man, Paul wants to convince his readers at the church of Corinth to be able to make this choice, not because he used his heavy hand. He wants to say, church of Corinth, man, I want you to understand that what we're talking about is heavy. And I'm not trying to throw my weight around. Man, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to kind of guide you in the right direction. Man, I want you to understand that this is a heart issue. And so the more and more I think about myself and I think about ministry, man, I've come to learn quickly that in ministry, commanding people to do things, it doesn't really work so well. <laughs> man, it doesn't really work so well. Like, thus saith the Lord, that works good. Thus saith Justin, man, that has very limited impact, all right, on getting the job done. And sometimes that can be frustrating. Man, sometimes I wish, like, man, we could give a simple command, and then everybody would just say, all right, man, uh, pastor said do it. Man, church leader said do it. Man, I'm all in for it. But, but sometimes that's not how it works, all right? And so lasting change doesn't come when somebody's commanded to do something, but I believe, man, it comes when people are persuaded in their own minds, in their own hearts. And that's what I'm talking about, that this is a heart matter, all right? And so when he continued to read this verse, listen, it says, I appeal to you, what's it say? Brothers. Man, I appeal to you, brothers. Man, sometimes I think that we can read Scripture and we just plow through it, and we don't even look or reflect on the importance of what he's saying. See, Paul identifies himself with these believers, and he's also reminding them that they belong together. Man, they have a common identity in Jesus Christ. Man, guys, we got to understand that this was a musical. This is where they would bust out in song. Man, if this was a musical, they would all know the same song, and they would all start singing and doing the same dance. And if this was a high school musical, they would start saying, all in this together. You know what I'm saying? Like, Troy would be singing. Gabriella would be singing. Sharpay, you and I. Like, like seriously, church, we got to get our head in the game because we are all in this together. Man, we're together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I say that to mean that we're family. Man, we're church family. See, two weeks ago, I was missing in action, all right? I was at home, and the flu had had me just, like, curled up in a ball on the couch, all right? And so I knew all my brothers and sisters in Christ were doing church here at Bowie Elementary, and I get this text message from my buddy James, all right? Man, he was visiting the church, and I don't know how he found out, but he found out that I was sick at home with the flu. And James and I, man, we've known each other for a long time. I mean, we've been around since Travis Elementary days, all right? And so we heard I was sick, and so he sends a text just checking in. Hey, man, is there anything I could do for you and for your family? And, and we kind of conversed back and forth through text, and, and I ended by saying, thanks, brother. Man, thank you for asking those things. And I wasn't speaking biologically when I told James Thank you, brother, all right? Man, I have an older brother. His name's John Michael, not James, all right? But what I was talking about was spiritually. See, James is my brother in Christ, and since that's true, we ought to seek to be unified, and he does a great job at that. Man, I lack in that. And so, man, he was doing that. He was reaching out. Man, he was trying to stay unified with me. And we ought to understand, church family, that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a greater bond together than even our biological bond as family. 
Man, we have an obligation before God and to one another to live this bond out. How are we going to call each other brother and sister, but we don't talk outside these words? I mean, outside these walls. How are we going to call each other brother and sister, but we don't really extend any other greeting than like, hey, how you doing? And you don't really want to know how they're doing. You just want to hear, fine, and keep on going. And so Paul was genuine in reaching out to them. And as we keep on reading, just listen to this phrase, man. Listen to verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, we got to understand by pleading with his readers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul was saying, these are not my words. I'm not coming at you with my authority, which he could have. But he said, man, I'm coming at you with the highest level of authority. See, the Corinthians, they were to regard Paul's words as from the Lord himself. And we understand that as we read scripture, we get that this was written to a church in Corinth. But we also understand that God's word is God breathed. And we understand that these words come from the Lord himself. And Paul goes on to say, man, I urge and I plead and I exhort and I beseech you, brothers. And he says, uh, goes on to say that what I'm talking about is coming from the name of the Lord and the authority of Jesus Christ, that you all would agree and that there would be no divisions among you. And you read that and you kind of hear you know, kind of chalk it up like, oh, this is one of those parts of the Bible where he asks us to do tough things. And man, we just got to put on our big boy pants and we have to do it. And then other people will read this and say, man, that's just so wrong. Like the church is nothing but a bunch of like robotic believers. In fact, look, they all must agree. But we got to understand that it's different, all right? It almost seems to get that impression that we all have to have the same views and we all have to walk the same way and we all have to have the same haircut. Ooh, man, I'm glad we don't all have to have the same haircut, all right? Uh, but, but we understand that actually this phrase literally reads, we got to speak the same thing. Man, if you have a family or you were raised by some parents or now you're in the process of parenting your own kids, May you understand what it means to have a united front. See, as a church family, we have to have a united front. And as, a, as, a, as parents, we understand that, man, if you don't come at it with a united front, like if your kids sense any division, man, your kids will play that against you. Man, if they see any type of division between your front, man, they will try to work that to their full advantage in church. Man, we're free to disagree, but we have to understand that we have to do so respectfully. And we also have to be mature enough that when the church and the leadership have arrived at a decision, man, we have to commit to every member coming alongside and uniting together in supporting the direction of the church. And that's so tough. Man, sometimes that's a trust issue. Man, sometimes we cannot trust the leadership of the church because of whatever reason. Like we have issues with trusting them. And then, man, how are we going to trust God if we can't trust the people that God has put in place to lead us in the direction that he's leading us? Man, when we talk about the word division, man, if you do a word study, like the Greek word is schismata, 
You know, like you talk about schismata. And like when you talk about that, man, our English word derives from that. It's called schism. All right. And we talk about all these different divisions. And Paul's going to get to that in a minute. But it also talks about tears and, and, and rending things apart. And I believe that Paul is pleading to the church, stop ripping each other apart. Stop tearing up the body of Christ. And like, why is he making this huge plea? Man, he finishes it in that verse 10. He says that you would be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. And when you do a word study, the word that's translated into united, man, I'm not even going to try to say it. I already butchered the other word, all right? But, but it starts with the K, and it's like got some crazy characters in there, all right? But, man, it's used in the gospel over and over to talk about mending things. Man, it could talk about, like, mending a joint that's out of place or mending a bone that's been broken. But, like, one thing that they could relate to back in the day was mending the, the nets that they used to, to haul in their livelihood. And they understood that they had to do this regularly because there were holes that would come in the net and they could not leave the holes or they would be losing, you know, uh, possible income. And we got to understand that relationships sometimes have gaps in them. Man, relationships sometimes have holes in them and we have to look out for these holes and we have to be ready to mend them and we have to be united and, and, and to do so consistently. And to me, it's hard to think that anybody could do that and not be actively involved in the local church. See, man, I know that we have internet these days. Man, I know that we got like podcasts, we have television, and we can watch the church, all right? Man, that's why I was, when I had flu, y'all didn't want it, so I was watching the church from my house. But man, that was because I was sick. I didn't want it to get y'all sick. And man, I, I, I don't want Christians to, to fall into the trap that they don't have to attend a church. They don't have to attend, uh, you know, a local body. They don't have to get in and serve. Man, they don't have to like sometimes miss this big church, all right, so that way they could do church over there for the little kids. Man, sometimes they got to understand that sometimes they're not even going to be across the hall, but they're going to be down the hall, down the hall, and to the left because they're serving the little, little kids. Man, maturity takes place when we're in the fellowship together. And that, like, spiritual maturity demands community. And Paul's point is simple. Man, that community is evolved and revolves around the oneness of Christ. Man, Christ is not divided. He's going to talk about that in a minute. And so, therefore, the body of Christ should not be divided. Man, the church is run down sometimes by people who actually ought to be the ones who are building up the church. So which one are you, man? Are you trying to bring it down or are you trying to build it up? And we got to understand, I don't want to gloss over this before we move to verse 11, but disagreement can be healthy at times, all right? Man, I found that out in marriage. Like, like my parents, they did a great job of like not showing that publicly. And so the first time that like I have a disagreement with Shannon, I'm like, oh my gosh, what in the world? This is not going to end well. This is how you fold towels. This is how I've always folded towels. This is the right way to fold towels. It's always so silly, man. But sometimes when we talk things out, it can actually be healthy, all right? When the Bible warns us about bitter disputes, it also encourages us to, to, to seek and, and cultivate the art of gracious disagreement. And the next thing is 
conflict is unavoidable. Man, it's not about when conflict comes. It's about when will it come. Man, conflict is unavoidable. We don't need to feel guilty if we find ourselves in the midst of church conflict. We got to understand that it's unavoidable, but we have to walk that out. Man, we have to understand and, and walk through this process. Man, I was kind of thinking, like, what could we describe it as? And sometimes conflict is a lot like dynamite. Man, if used in the right way, man, it can be very helpful. But it can also be destructive if used in the wrong way, in the wrong manner. And so it can expose problems that need to be worked out, or it can be very divisive in itself. Man, keep on going. Look at verse 11. It says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Man, too often we know something that needs to be shared, so we want to bring it to the leaders. Maybe you've been guilty of this, and you come to the leader and you say, now I'm going to tell you something, but I don't want you to tell nobody that I'm the one who told you, all right? Or maybe uh, you come to a leader and say, man, there's a rumor that's going around, or I have a friend who told me. I like this one. There's a number of people that are saying, and then you find out that the number is just one, and it's actually that person. Uh, but, but man, they don't want to be tied to it, all right? And, and I think it's good to note that Paul, as he rebukes the church in Corinth, man, he gives up his source. Like, like he doesn't say one of y'all. He says Chloe's people, all right? Like, he kind of puts it on blast, but he doesn't try to protect our identity. Here's the thing. He puts weight of a reliable testimony behind his words as he comes uh, to the church. Man, look at verse 12. It says, man, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. This is where we get to the nitty-gritty. Paul has said all of these things in love, and now he's saying, man, when I talk about y'all are divided, here is how y'all are divided. Four ways. Man, you got the, the Paul party, all right? You got the Apollos party. You got the Cephas party. And you got those that follow Christ's party. So let's break it down. Man, the first party, Paul's party, all right? Those people. Man, uh, I, th I think that these people would appreciate Paul because Paul was the one who founded the church. Man, he was the one who pastored the church for the first 18 months. And when I was trying to, like, come up with a, a, a way that we could relate this, man, this group probably represented the charter members of the church of Corinth. Man, this was probably the group that was there when it started. They're the original core group that established this church with Paul as the first pastor. And I can just hear them crying, well, we'll never have another pastor like Paul. Man, this pastor don't really do it like Paul did. Or, man, I wish we could go back to the old days and you only remember the good things about those times. Man, that was the Paul party. The second party, you got the Apollos party. And, man, you use Scripture to understand who these people are. In Acts 18, it says that Apollos was an Alexandrian Jew. Man, he was an eloquent preacher. Man, he was a skillful defender of the faith. And apparently, he's probably the second pastor of this Corinthian church. And so Apollos was mentored and poured into by Paul, but he was way different than Paul. Man, they had a different personality. They had a different style, all right? Paul was a teacher. 
Apollos could be said to be a preacher, all right? Man, Paul was a very analytical thinker, and Apollos was more of a, like, synthetic thinker. And so they were so different. So you had some people like, man, I'm all for Paul. Man, some people are like, man, I'm in the Apollos party. And then you had the third party, the Cephas party. And if you're like, Cephas, who's Cephas? Maybe, maybe your translation says the Peter party. Let's just take a moment to thank Christ for changing Peter's name from Cephas to Peter, all right? Uh, did the man a favor, all right? Petros, the rock that he's going to build the church on. And here's the crazy thing. Man, if you try to do like some study on this, there's never anything recorded that Peter actually even visited to this church. Like, in fact, man, uh, he was this well-known in the Christian circles everywhere because we understand that, man, he was one of Christ's three closest companions. And since Peter was the leading apostle of the Jews, man, it's understandably so that, man, the early Christians, especially the Jewish believers, they would have revered him. And so some people are following Paul. Some people are following Apollos. Some people are following Peter. And then you get the last one. And when you read this at first, you're like, that's me. That's where I want to be, right? I mean, like, you read it, you're like, man, some people following Paul, some people following Apollos, some people following Peter, but then you got I follow Christ's party. But man, be careful. Because when you read this, you think that this is the group that, meet, that needs to be commended because they follow Christ. But actually, this is probably the most dangerous group of all four examples Man, when you understand what Paul is talking about, these people were so filled with pride. Basically, they felt themselves to be better than everyone else in the church. Man, they followed Christ was their excuse to say, man, I don't need a leader to tell me what to do. I don't need to follow Paul. Man, I don't need to follow a, uh, an apostle. I don't need to follow the pastor. I don't need to follow a church leader because I follow Christ. Man, we got to understand that, yes, we are called to follow Christ, all right? We're called to do that. But, man, we don't need to put all the focus that we follow Christ. Man, in fact, I think I can relate to this because, man, I think Paul is saying that those people bragging of being of Christ, they're actually looking down on those people who are not of Christ. And so we got to understand that the Christ party, they basically felt like they had a corner on the truth. They had Christ on a leash and they were able to put God in a box because they knew what to be doing. And so when we read verse 12, man, it makes me think, like, can we not be grateful for our leaders? Can we not be grateful for our church leaders? I think we can. I mean, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, he reminds us, the author of Hebrews says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God and consider their outcome. And so, man, when we think about this, man, we're called to follow our leaders, but we're not called to worship our leaders. Man, we're called to follow their lead, but don't start putting them on a pedestal. Man, don't ever put me on a pedestal. Man, you put me on a pedestal, you follow me around long enough, man, I'm going to offend you. Man, I'm going to let you down. Man, you catch me at the store and I see you, I might be acting one way. Man, you see me, like you might hear me because I'm loud and I might be one row over. Man, I might, I might say something that brings you down, all right? Man, we don't need to put anybody on a pedestal. Man, we need to have our focus on the right person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Listen to how he ends this portion of it in verse 13. He said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? 
or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Man, we know the answer to all three of those rhetorical questions. No, no, no. But I got to ask us, men, are we more focused on Christ? Are we more focused on the church leader? Man, we might can say it like this. Is Matt Chandler your creator? Is Chuck Swindoll the one who sanctified you? Did Charles Stanley die for your sins? Man, was it Calvin or Arminius who resurrected you from the dead, man, for your justification? Man, no, it was none of them. Man, when I was in high school, I was in a tough spot because, man, our youth pastor was, was called to resign. Man, nothing moral, like no moral failure. Like it, 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 it was a conflict. It was a division in the church. And, and man, suddenly people who I went to church with, they were gone. Man, a lot of people started going to other churches. A lot of people followed this leader to another church. And I thought that would be a good thing. Like, hey, dad, what's up? Can you give me a ride over there? Man, he shut that down so quick. Man, I was so upset. I was bitter at the church. I was bitter at my dad. I did not understand that. Man, fast forward today, man, I'm so thankful that my dad did not put focus on me following a leader or me following some friends, but me staying true to the body of Christ. Man, that church body allowed me to serve. Man, a lot of people left, so now you got to step up into leadership. And man, I'm so grateful for those things. I'm so grateful for the people who came uh, after that and poured into our lives. Man, Paul's point was that we should not trust any man, but we should trust Christ. Man, the second thing I want to give you today, and this is how we're going to end, is this right here. Man, we want to major on the right person but we also want to major on the right mission, all right? Man, read with me in verse 14, and we're going to read out to verse 17. It says, man, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus, Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did not, it says, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anybody else, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not in cleverness of speech, so that the way the cross of Christ would not be made void. Man, obviously, baptism is a big thing, guys. Man, it's a big thing in this portion of Scripture. Like, he mentions it like four or five, six times. But the followers were beginning to take pride in who baptized them. Man, y'all know how silly that is? Like, man, do y'all realize, like, we're sitting around tamales and somebody's like, well, Matt Beasley baptized me. Oh, man, you know, that one time Justin tried to baptize me. Oh, my goodness. Like, almost electrocuted. You know what I'm saying? Man, somebody else like, oh, man, Bob Hamilton was the one who baptized. Man, it is so silly to think about this in today's standards, but we do this. Man, we put our Christian leaders like almost in a level of celebrityism. And, and he's saying, hold up, wait a minute, it doesn't matter who baptized you. Man, it's not even about baptism. Man, he goes on to, to kind of like downplay and, and, and under, make everybody understand that it's not the baptism that saves you, but it is important. So important that we're trying to bring the baptistry from uh, down the road and we're going to baptize people here this next week. Man, if you've never been baptized, man, holler at us. We would love to like put you in that rotation. It is important, but it is not what saves you. Man, when he goes on in verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the way the cross would not be made void. Paul's mission 
it wasn't just dunking converts. Man, his mission was to preach the gospel. That's where he put his focus on. Man, what is our focus put on? Because like sometimes our mission gets kind of convoluted. Like we make family our mission. Man, we make education our mission. Man, we make sports our mission. Man, we make this relationship with this other person our mission. And we give everything to that. We make something that should be a minor and we turn it into a major. Church family, are we guilty with that? Church family, we need to understand that Christ is the major person that we focus on and Christ's mission of presenting that gospel is our major mission that we should focus on. Let's be about the major things. Let's stop sweating the small things. Man, as I close and the band kind of makes their way up here, man, I want to challenge y'all as a church family to understand and ask yourself, Man, what things in your life need to be shifted back to the minor role so that way you can make room for the major things that need to be there? But we all have it. But are you willing to make that shift? Because see, what happens is we put that minor thing in that major place for so long that it becomes a major thing. And, and the only thing about that is majorly scary, all right? And so, man, I want y'all to try to understand and try to remember today that disunity causes the greatest threat of our survival as a church. Jesus Christ is the one where we find unity, and the gospel is the primary mission of the church. And this will happen when we major on the major things, the right person and the right mission. Man, if you would, go ahead and bow your head with me as we pray and man, as you pray, man, I want to just try to ask y'all to think about your own life. Man, I can't think about it for you. Man, this is something only between you and your Heavenly Father. See, for some of us here today, man, you heard us talking about majoring on Christ. But man, how are we going to major on Christ when we haven't even allowed him to save us of our sins and Lord over our life? And for some of y'all, that needs to take place today. Man, utilize this opportunity to be able to, man, spend some time with somebody. If you want to come pray at the altar, if you want to talk to one of our church leaders about how you can do that, man, we want to give y'all this opportunity to be able to do that. And for some of us, man, maybe we have a relationship with Christ, but maybe we've allowed other things to take our priority and, it, and, and to steal our focus away from the mission that we are supposed to be living out on a daily basis. Man, maybe some of y'all are like me and man, maybe family has taken a priority or your job has taken a priority or bills have taken a priority. And instead, what we've done is we compartmentalized all these things and we try to put God in a box too. God don't want to be in a box. Man, he wants to be a part of all of those things. And he wants to lord over those things. Man, there's a phrase that I want to tell you, and we use it all the time because it's so churchy. Man, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. But is that true? Man, have you taken the opportunity to pledge your life to Christ and allow him to save you from the debt that you owe? If so that he's your savior. But are you willing to allow him to be your Lord as well? 
Men, are you willing to allow him to be the major thing and allow him to lord over your job? Allow him to lord over your family. Allow him to lord over your schoolwork. Allow him to lord over your friendships. Because when we do that, men, our work changes. It's no longer a job that we have to do, but it's a mission field that we get to go and share Christ with. Man, when we allow him to lord over our life, man, our text conversations change. It's no longer something that's private only between me and somebody else that nobody else will see, but it's so transparent because the Lord is involved in that conversation too. Man, the way that we handle our friendships is different because in the way that we handle our relationships is different because it's no longer selfishness. It's no longer, man, how can I be served? What can somebody do for me? What can my wife, what can my spouse, what can my husband do for me? But instead it's how can I serve that person in the name of Christ? Because Christ loved us, how can we love them? Man, it changes how we do church because instead of opening up the church and hoping that people come in and we say, man, we're here on Sunday mornings, we're here on Wednesday nights, man, it's about being the church. When we leave here, we go live out the gospel. When we leave here, we show people that we have put Christ on the pedestal, the only one. Man, we have made his mission our mission. And instead of coming to church, we are now leaving being the church. We're now opening up our homes. We're having Bible studies. Man, we're gathering around in small groups. We're, we're expressing like this is our failures, but this is how God has turned them into successes. Are you willing to do that, church family? Let's do business with him. Dear Heavenly Father, God, man, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this opportunity. And God, we thank you for Paul's words and we thank you that he comes at us in love, but he also is willing to step on the toes. Man, God, there's some of us who follow this pastor. There's some of us who follow this church leader. And oh God, man, if somebody offends us or if somebody steps on our toe, man, we're out of here and we're off to another place. God, that's all selfish. God, that's all misguided. God, I pray that you would do work with us today. Let us understand that we need to make our focus on you. You are the right person. And God, if we've done that personally in our life, then our mission changes. Man, it's not about our job success. Man, it's about how we can share you in everything that we do, whether it be our job whether it be our family, whether it be our high schools, man, whether it be just with our circle of friends. God, change us today. We ask all this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.